Welcome to Force Points to the Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Erica Pierce to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Always covered in 15 minutes or less. Now, let's get to the point. Hi, and welcome back to To The Point Cybersecurity. I am one of your co-hosts, Erica Pierce, and joined, as always, by Eric Trexa. How are you doing, Eric? Eric, I'm great. Can't wait for part two of the discussion here. I like these two-parters. I do, too. You know, I I like that we're to the point and we don't go on for, you know, hours and hours. But I also think that sometimes, uh, you know, our our 15 minutes is too short. So I'm excited to, um, to restart our conversation we had last week with Margaret Cunningham. Hi, Margaret. Hi, how are you? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing really well. Glad to be back. Yeah. So, and if you didn't Welcome. listen to last week's episode, um, hit pause and go and listen to last week's episode. You can hear all about um, some personal potential security. <laughs> personal and professional. <laughs> and professional security, security threats. Um, but, you know, we had a really good discussion. So, Margaret, first, you said this last week on the episode Um you know, you're a data scientist, but your background is that you're a psychologist. And so knowing that is fascinating because, A, you don't necessarily meet a lot of psychologists who work in cybersecurity. But I think that also, when you talk about how we really have to look into, you know, the inside the brain, inside how we think, and that's how we should be approaching cybersecurity, especially in this day and age, I'm assuming that is, you know, the bridge of your background versus now, you know, your, your cybersecurity work. Yeah, so I um, actually worked as a psychologist looking at how technology impacts performance. And um, I started out working in physical security. So, you know, how does this this sensor impact uh, a first responder's ability to do their job? <laughs> and how do you measure that? And, um, and then I started well, working a little bit more closely in software. But a lot of these, uh, you know, I call them human performance capabilities and limitations. Uh, you know, if we can understand what we're good at as people and what we're bad at as people, we can design our technology to um, secure and support people versus trying to have people fit this mold uh, for whatever technology is built. And, you know, people are never really going to change. So what we do have control of is our technology and how we build it. Um, so I advocate for uh, building for the people instead of trying to get people to fix tech somehow. <laughs> well, and, and, and how do you how do you do that? Well, you hire people like me. Shameless plug. No. <laughs> okay. But but um, you know, a lot of times we don't really consider uh, what the technology is doing in the wild. We've got people sitting together figuring out very complicated ways of ingesting data, making it go more quickly. Um, What is it going to look like? And those challenges are so difficult from a technology perspective that we often forget about the people who end up using it in the field. or We forget about (laughs) why we're deploying technology so many times and who we're deploying the technology to. Yes. It's crazy. Uh, Yeah, I mean... You've all heard of a startup that had a fantastic idea. They build this really cool capability and then it sits in a warehouse forever mm-hmm. because it just doesn't work out in the real world. I mean, millions of dollars are spent on tech that, that never sees the light of day. 
Well, we see it in cybersecurity all the time. Oh, sure. We're going to solve all your problems. Just deploy my technology. (laughs) It'll be perfect. (laughs) I believe I've heard that. (laughs) Yes. So, Margaret, you brought up something. um, I know we started talking about this a little bit last week, but wanted to actually go a little bit deeper on it. And, uh, you know, honestly, it kind of even relates back to the conversation we had about myself. So as background, I got an email um, at work. It was it was a phishing email and I later learned, but I did indeed click the link. Right. So uh, and technically I was breaking the rules um, that I had been taught through the trainings and things like that. But it was really because I was multitasking. The email looked real. It was, you know, it said I needed to verify my Microsoft 365 account um, and, and so on. And so when we think about rulemaking, I mean, to me, that was just that wasn't a human error. Right. It was I, there was no malicious intent. I wasn't it was sent to me, I assume, maliciously, but my error wasn't malicious. But let, let's talk about the different types of rule breaking that occur and just how we break that down from that human perspective. Yeah, so I, I actually love rule breaking. I love understanding why people break rules. Um, we like to call the rules that we break in a way that doesn't seem so bad as, um, you know, workarounds. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to describe yes. it. <laughs> yes. Yes. So we have these very handy workarounds that we all do. Sometimes we learn them from our coworkers. Uh, sometimes we engage in these behaviors because, you know, we're collaborating with someone externally. We've got to share. We're not supposed to share, but we've got to do the job. So we share. Um, so we do all these things so that we can get our jobs done. Um, but in that same vein, that workaround exposes our organizations to a lot of risk, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one. I and have a workaround I'd love to know. share with you all, but I don't Ooh, want to get in trouble. Oh, boy. <laughs> Come on. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm really making your life Two weeks in a row. <laughs> Two weeks in a row. No, we see this actually in the cross-domain space. It's, it's bizarre. When, when customers can't implement cross-domain due to timing – or the sheer amount of regulatory requirements to do it in a timely fashion, or they don't have budget, what they end up doing is moving CDs from one network to another and maybe doing a virus scan. We see it all the time because they want to get their jobs done. Yep. They aren't employing the, the proper technology, but they just want to get their jobs done. It's, it's a light rule breaking almost. And the government sometimes accepts it as okay because they want to get their jobs done. Yeah. So this this light rule breaking is um, really, really interesting because how do we tell the difference between light rule breaking that doesn't really have any like bad intent behind it besides I'd like to get my job done and the type of rule breaking that uh, someone's doing because they've they're stealing from you. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. Or even light rule breaking, not knowing the consequences. Erica, I don't think anything happened from you clicking on that link. Correct. No, no, nothing happened um, and, well, that I'm aware of. <laughs> right, right. But, but, but imagine if the company went out of business as a result right. of that well, light rule breaking. And I'll, I'll, I'll share. Um, I'll, I, have, I know I have a friend um, <laughs> who had a business need to send a, um, a company document to a contractor who had a Gmail account. It was someone who's an independent consultant contractor. And so when they went to send the email from their work computer, there was an automatic message basically saying you're prohibited from forwarding, you know, 
this type of document to a Gmail account. Um, contact if there is if there is a business need, contact your supervisor and and so on. However, if you send that same email from your cell phone, from your um, I heard from the Outlook account to it, you it's a workaround that overrides that because it's the, that automatic you know um, edit is not in the uh, I guess it's not in the in the Outlook version of the of, uh, on on your cell phone. It's really difficult to protect mobile devices, but yeah. they could have sent it through a personal email account. There are a lot of workarounds, as I even mentioned with the cross domain side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, people are, we really, people find a way to get it done. And that is, you know, a testament to how resilient and fun people are because we always find a way to get it done. Uh, but it also illustrates what a huge challenge we have uh, from a security standpoint, um, because the more, you know, the more, uh, barriers you put up, the more creative people get. Um, so, you know, how are we going to do deal with something like that? Uh, we're just wonderfully creative. <laughs> I, I see that in cybersecurity in the, in the, uh, the, I'll call it the depth of technology that people try to implement. Um, and then also we'll call it the, the depth of, uh, requirements, at the same time that people try to, they, they always try to overcomplicate things thinking it's going to be better. If I cover for this contingency and this one and this one, it'll be as perfect as I can make it. I'd love Margaret to hear your perspective as a behavioral psychologist on where is that sweet spot, right? When I was in the army, keep it simple, stupid, the KISS principle really kept us alive and, and, and made things workable. Cybersecurity yeah. is the opposite. From my standpoint, sometimes it's better to uh, observe the workaround than to try to block it every which way. So, you know, in a sense, obviously, we want to decrease risk and risk exposure. But if we can understand patterns of chronic workarounds that a lot of people in an organization are making, that's, you know, potentially more useful than forcing you know, 800 new different types of workarounds that are mm -hmm. going to be even more difficult to spot. So on that simple message, um, you know, not all workarounds are bad, but understanding them for what they are helps us differentiate between a workaround and uh, a malicious actor. So I know some of the work your team has done has been around data stockpilers and, and doing peer-based anomaly detection really what I'm hearing you say is that's understanding the environment and being able to, through that work, understand when you see an anomaly, somebody, somebody or something that sticks out. Yeah, sure. So um, with peer groups, um, what's cool about people is that we understand them much better in groups than we do as individuals. Uh, you know, what if I noticed that an entire marketing department is engaging in the same workaround? Okay, well, that actually tells me that there's a business need for that within that group of people with that job function mm -hmm. that, that makes sense. And it's either an issue with the policy or an issue with some sort of business process. But then you can start to understand why they're doing it and what it looks like. And you can understand the risk better than if you just said, oh, there are a lot of people breaking the rules. <laughs> Got it. So, makes sense. you know, that's... 
it's simplistic, but it's, it's, um, it's very useful. So Margaret, what advice do you give based upon everything that we've talked about today and also last week? I mean, to organizations, um, be it, you know, government or private sector, I mean, that are really trying to, you know, figure this out, that are trying to get people to stop clicking the links and, you know, do these workarounds. I, I know there's not a perfect, you know, system, but if, 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 if an organization said, okay, we want to take a step back and really look at our, um, you know, our security profile in a different way. I mean, what, what do you recommend? It has to be something beyond the trainings. I mean, the trainings I think have become such a, you know, it just, <laughs> they don't really trigger anything in us on a day-to-day basis. Uh, the trainings are kind of a cop-out and it puts the responsibility on maybe the, you know, maybe not the wrong people, but it, it sort of kicks the can down the road in a way that's not useful. Um, so, you know, a lot of times companies say, I want to understand who's bad. I want to understand all the bad stuff happening. Um, I'd argue that it is even more valuable to understand what everyone is doing and most people are good. So, you know, if we can emphasize understanding people in a more holistic pattern or our way, um, we get a better understanding of what people are doing with technology, where our biggest risks are, and how to contextualize bad or risky behavior within the sea of, you know, uh, resilient, adaptive, positive, good behavior that most of our employees and most people are doing. So that's, it's critical. Once again, focus on the good though. Yeah. yeah. So we can stop the bad. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely um, impossible to say, we're only going to understand shades of bad. Mm -hmm. I only want to know, you know, stuff about the top 20 horrible people when your organization has thousands of people who are, you know, for the most part, keeping the ship straight, making everything work. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, understanding that good stuff is, I think that's really the magic. You know, it's interesting in cybersecurity, we tend to focus on the bad, the black side of that, of the art, right? What's happening that shouldn't be as opposed to the white or the good side where, you know, the, the white hat hackers as opposed to the black hat hack. But we do the same thing in life, don't we, Margaret? I mean, you're, you're the psychologist, but who did, what does your coach focus on typically? Or as a parent, what do you focus on? The bad or the good? Yeah, I mean, what what are we watching the news for, right? right. We get a twenty four hour news cycle. And it's all occasionally, bad. <laughs> occasionally, we'll get like the 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 happy news story, uh, but we're fascinated by the bad because it's strange. So you know, we're fascinated by what's unique, what stands out, what's strange. Uh, normal stuff, normal life is not nearly as um, as interesting. So you know that's fine for the news. That's fine for, you know, somebody who's trying to, you know, get you to tune in. But if we're really trying to create uh, better, more robust, more resilient security, then, you know, the day-to-day good stuff is, you know, 90% of the pie. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in leadership training, they tell you, you should actually be focusing on your higher performer, um, higher higher performer people on your team. And even though our inclination is to always perform, focus on the lower performers. So 
a little tidbit there for you. (laughs) Well, thank you, Margaret. I I think you've given um, myself um, as well as our listeners a lot to think about um, because I I do think this is something that we'll hear more of. And I I think your approach, especially as um, a behavioral psychologist, um, is is quite fascinating. I mean, that's I have to say this. That's one of the things I find really interesting about um, about Force Point is that you all have such a diverse range of backgrounds, which I think really brings um, a new, you know, sort of thinking to cybersecurity. So I I never thought about a behavioral (laughs) scientist looking at physical or, uh, (laughs) or, or or even cyber, cybersecurity or technology. So, but it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of fun. (laughs) Erica, what do you think a cybersecurity behavioral psychologist does for fun? (laughs) Well, watch Dateline. I don't know. Help us out, Mark. What do, you, what do you do for fun when you're not studying people in cybersecurity? Oh, I really like to take my dog on walks and, and get the brain cleaned out and fresh because uh, sometimes I do tend to have to look into some of the the deeper, darker, weirdo things out there. Um, so, you know, just enjoy time with the family. That's That's what I'm up to these days. Really we exciting. Hear that, we hear that over and over. We had a discussion a couple of weeks ago with Chris Krebs. But, you know, he, he rides to and from work to clear his head because he's he's in the thick of it. Sounds like the same. We, we get that theme a lot. Yeah. No, I think it's important in this business because there is there is so much bad. I mean, no one has. A, I'm, I'm sure most organizations don't have meetings to talk about how great they're. <laughs> cybersecurity, you know, policies are are going, they're going to have the meetings to talk about, you know, what the the, talk about the bad, talk about what has to be fixed. So thanks everyone for joining um, part two of this episode. This was a a great discussion and uh, please continue to tune in every week. Rate us on uh, iTunes or your, uh, I, or your podcast platform of choice. Let us know what you want us to talk about and please tune in next week until then. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Margaret. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store 